0: The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Michael Boling, Frank Latuca, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for January 22nd, 2021. My name is Justin Robert Young. The first episode officially transmitted from Joe Biden's America. Indeed, the Vice President of the United States was born In the city that I broadcast to you from today, Oakland, California's own Kamala Harris is now in the seat where Mike Pence once sat. Therefore, bringing the prophecy of uh, of a veep to life. We're going to talk about uh, the first 48 hours of Joe Biden's presidency, what he did, what he's likely to do, and all that swirls around it. We're also going to answer your questions, including some focusing on what we do over the next four years, a further discussion from a trusted friend about the social network and more. And the crown jewel. Another conversation with one of our favorite guests here on PX3, Musa Al Garbi is back. And as we focus on going forward through Joe Biden's America, one of the things that he highlighted during his inauguration speech were the divisions that we have to heal. Those divisions, as he explicitly pointed out, are often issues that have been here for a long time. Discrimination chief among them. But who do we believe is discriminated against? That is what we ask Musa because he has just done a bunch of research, breaking it down on Republican and Democratic lines, who they believe catches the most flack and the results are something that I found thought-provoking and very, very informative as we ask these tough questions of ourselves in the coming days, weeks, months, years. But first. All right, so some... Thoughts on the first full day of Joe Biden's administration, the 46th president of the United States of America. First, let's take a look at what he signed on his first day, the executive actions, executive movements. And we're in all orders. Some of them were memorandum, but let's go ahead and just take a look at that. On day one, he signed 17 executive actions. Uh, Of those, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of them, according to the Biden administration, were direct reversals of Donald Trump's administration. So let's go through those first. First things first, uh, the United States will no longer be withdrawing from the World Health Organization and Dr. Anthony Fauci will become the head of the delegation to the World Health Organization. I'm here to be swayed on whether or not we should belong to the WHO. However, I do believe that we need to take another look at what the WHO is and who it serves. Because... It's one thing if they are close to China during peacetime. But if their guidance is crucial and time sensitive, I think there's a compelling case to say that their closeness to China really, really, really endangered the world. Let me say that clearly. So whatever. We're in versus we're out. I again I, I'm I'm fine with that. Uh we will rejoin the Paris Climate Accords. The process will take 30 days. Obviously, a lot of folks are uh happy about this. Uh this uh the Trump leaving the Paris Climate Accords was something that shook loose a lot of Folks who were kind of hoping that Donald Trump would be a, a a break from business as usual, but not a dangerous one. I personally think that the Paris Climate Accord is an aspirational thing. You can say that whatever curtailments happens to our own economy, we are doing it in hopes that everybody else starts pulling mo- more of their weight specifically India and China. So, you know, it's one of those things where 10 years on, we might look back and be like, well, why do we rejoin? Like, India and China didn't really do anything. So, whatever. This one's kind of interesting. The Biden administration has portrayed this as canceling the Keystone XL pipeline and directing agencies to review and reverse more than 100 Trump actions on the environment. So aside from the potpourri tag on that, this is apparently a little bit more complicated than that. Apparently, we have temporarily rescinded the Keystone XL pipeline. So we will see how that unfolds going forward. Uh, Donald Trump has, uh, or sorry, uh, Biden has rescinded Trump the Trump administration's 1776 commission, directing agencies to review their actions to ensure racial equality. That's something that is, yeah, that's fine. Uh, it re, uh, Joe Biden is now requiring non citizens to be included in the census and the appointment of congressional representatives. This is huge for blue states, and blue cities. Because if you don't include legal American citizens, then there will be less congressional allotment in cities that, for example, are sanctuary cities, where you are telling folks that they will not have to worry about their documentation status. Joe Biden's executive order reverses the Trump administration's restriction, re- restrictions on U.S. entry for passport holders from seven Muslim-majority countries, often referred to as the Muslim ban. I think that one's pretty simple. It uh, Another one, undoes expansion of immigration enforcement within the United States. This is DACA. This is Dreamers. He is telling Congress to come up with a pathway to citizenship. Congratulations. Uh, it is, you know, Obama's second term all over again. We're going to get a push for a big grand immigration bargain. I don't know if it will happen. Uh, I would bet against it. Another one, uh, another executive order. Halt construction on the border wall by terminating the national emergency declaration used to fund it. And finally, uh, directing the OMB director to develop recommendations to modernize regulatory review and undoes Trump's regulatory approval process. This apparently was in there to curtail some of the last minute stuff that Trump did. So those are the executive orders. Uh, uh, the, the Biden administration will obviously have a much more cozy relationship with the press. That's not controversial. I don't think that you can get uh, uh, any less cozy than calling members of the press enemies of the state. But you are seeing some of the old habits already come back. The, 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 The Biden administration has set out a calendar of each day there's going to be a new focus and the press is going to dutifully report on that focus. Yesterday it was the coronavirus. Themes for next week include buy American on Monday. On Tuesday we're going to get a push to eliminate private prisons. Wednesday is Climate Day. Uh, uh, what happens? Healthcare's is on Thursday, uh, where where Biden will rescind the Mexico City policy, which. Excluded federal funds from funding abortions internationally. And Friday we will get immigration. Now we will see whether or not the very carefully set out plans by the Biden administration are adhered to by the press. Or if the press looks to break news that would distract away from it. Because that was what happened before. But. We'll see. I, I I will say that uh, some of the press has has continued to be a little feisty, which I was happy to see, because I personally don't mind when the press got up into the Trump administration's business. Sometimes in 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 the press conferences, I think you know it crossed a a element of just wasting time, but in general. You know, I like it when the press, I would rather them go too far than be too servile. And there were two moments in which uh, uh, I thought good questions were asked. Since today's focus was on the coronavirus, one of the big things highlighted by the Biden administration was their goal to have 100 million vaccination shots done by his first 100 days. And the Biden administration laid out uh, through friendly media that they were inheriting the lack of a plan, that they had to start from scratch when it came to vaccinations. This is kind of hard to square with reality because if we just continued on the path that we are on now we would hit 100 million vaccination shots by the end of Biden's first 100 days. We are vaccinating about a million people a day right now. So if we did a lot better than that, then hooray Joe Biden. If we do a little bit better than that, you can probably say, okay, this was the same program that just kept rolling on and was getting better. If we do less than that, then it's boo Biden. But... They are invested in believing and in, in projecting, rather, the Biden administration is interested in projecting that they are doing all this by themselves, where the facts don't necessarily match up with that. And Biden got questioned on it. Far higher than basically where the U.S. is right now. When I announced
1: it, you all said it's not possible. Come on, give me a break, man. Bye, a
0: that was an AP reporter who got the come on, man. When when uh, when we announced it, you said it couldn't be done, which I think is true. It's true. It it says more about the science literacy of our political press corps. But uh, uh, I I do think that Biden's Biden's correct there. (laughs) I don't think he's he's telling a lie. Uh, The other element today was uh, the second White House press corps press conference with new uh, press secretary Jen Psaki. She was asked uh, why Joe Biden was not wearing his mask on federal property when one of the executive orders that he signed was a federal mask mandate on federal property. And the answer was that he was celebrating. And this is more of a, a symbol, a symbolic gesture. The mask mandate is a, not to be taken literally. It's to be taken figuratively. Well, hell, let, let's just let her say it in oh, a row, oh, yes.
1: I, I think, Steve, he was celebrating uh, an evening uh, of a historic day in our country, and certainly he signed the mask mandate because it's a way to send a message to the American public about the importance of uh, wearing masks, how it can save tens of thousands of lives. We take a number of COVID precautions, as you know here, in terms of testing, social distancing, mask wearing ourselves, as as we do every single day. Well, Steve, I think uh, the power of his example is also uh, the message he sends by si- signing 25 executive orders, including almost half of them related to COVID. Uh, the requirements that we're all under every single day here to ensure we're sending that message to the public. Yesterday was a historic moment in our history. He was inaugurated as President of the United States, he was surrounded by his family. We take a number of precautions, but I don't think I think we have big, bigger issues to, to worry about at this moment in time.
0: Now, that was Fox News White House correspondent. So you would expect them to be a little combative. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm, 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 I'm very curious to. Well, here's the meta idea that I'm very curious about. Mainstream media is in a financially perilous position. They have just gotten out of four years of a golden harvest. People were very excited to tune in, very excited to jump paywalls uh, for for the, the the cash to do it. How much do they want to return to the pathway that got them to bad situations? Because this is uh. You know, we're in we're in not great places in terms of online advertising. Where do where does the tenor of DC media head? I hope it remains a little frisky, and I was happy to see it yesterday. Politics, politics. They asked me did I go deep in my bag, and I tell them I showed sure did. You can always be a part of our mailbag at theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Again, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Andrew kicks us off. Two questions for you. Your conversation in episode 143 with your mom, love her, got me thinking. Is it true that promoting debunked theories is not illegal? and I realize this is a free speech adjacent issue and we need to be careful here, but do we not have slander and libel laws that restrict freedom of speech when you're saying something that is both A, factually untrue, and B, directly damaging to somebody? Do you think that basis would justify some kind of action against the elected officials who are promoting the stolen election conspiracies on that basis, particularly because they're in a position of authority and people listen to them? I'll take this question first. Uh, are is this illegal? You know, there's like a Bugs Bunny meme where he just kind of has this really funny face, and it just says, "No, no, it's not." I mean, yes, there are slander and libel laws, as any good J school product will know. You gotta go to com law in your first year, but it's extraordinarily hard to prove the more powerful you are. People can outright lie about you, know about it, be doing it to actively harm you, but the more powerful you are, the harder it is to win a case against them. It's like almost like the First Amendment gets stronger. So if you are lying about the president-elect or the president, that's a different story. Now, at the same time, if there's one person that can punch down to the president-elect, it's the sitting president. Although, even then, we have a question of exactly who is more powerful, the president-elect or the outgoing president. I would make the argument that the that the president-elect is more powerful because all power is future power. The question would be, do you know beyond a reasonable doubt that what you are saying is either false or negligent and is there actual harm to the other person. So the times that I've seen libel cases win are when businesses are harmed and you can show damages because something was said, something was published. That's usually where you see these cases... uh, win in court. Oftentimes, they settle because uh, you just don't want to take the chance that it could win. But no, I I don't think that libel and slander laws would, uh, would apply here. Second question from Andrew. Taking your advice to see things from other people's perspective, I find myself actually having a tiny amount of sympathy for the Capitol stormers because, at least ostensibly, they believed... The foundation of their democracy was being stolen from them, and they tried to do something about it. If you truly believe that, how far would you go? The bigger issue seems to be the fact that these lawmakers are still peddling this lie. Until every one of them stands up and tells their supporters that this is a lie, I'm struggling to see how the healing process can truly begin. Well, I mean, again... I have a larger issue with the idea of debunked theories. I think that the truth is much more a Wikipedia than an encyclopedia. So what people who were very upset about these results say is that Hey, there's a lot of weird things here. It's weird that Joe Biden got more votes than than uh, Barack Obama. It's weird that Donald Trump won Ohio and Pennsylvania, but lost states that he should have otherwise won, like Georgia and Arizona. It's weird. These are weird things. We believe that there's something else here that is being hidden from us. Now, where we should meet in the middle, in my mind, is too bad, so sad, have evidence, or GTFO. Like, that's, that's usually where we can settle on. Somebody can say, I think there's something behind that curtain that explains this weird feeling. And the winning side can say, scoreboard. And at some point, you just gotta say, eh, scoreboard. And that's it. But I don't know if 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 we're ever really going to win a battle by trying to cure each other's thoughts. You weren't going to win the battle with Stacey Abrams by curing her of her thoughts that she was robbed running for governor in 2018. She had to double down, build a machine, and put herself in a better position to win the governorship in 2022. That's what happened. I don't think that curing her of her belief that she was robbed would have made her more likely to win or, or, or in a better position. She still thinks she was robbed. She still thinks that this was a, uh, that, that that 2018 was voter manipulation. So, we're always going to have these disagreements. We have through the entire history of our country, which is why I'm loath to dismiss out of hand that voter suppression or, voter manipula- or vote manipulation happens. I don't know. I'm not behind there. I don't know everything that goes on. I'm always willing to update my opinion based on information that comes in. But what we need to do is honor the scoreboard. Honor the fact that time ran out. That's where Trump really disgraced himself. That's where Trump put himself and his movement in tremendous peril by not saying that he was just willing to fight another day. Take the L, regroup, keep moving. Even if you believe you got cheated, you got cheated fair and square. Sean writes, listening to you and your mom talk is great. How old were you when you realized that you could have a meaningful adult relationship with your mom? That's a that's an interesting conversation. I, I haven't talked about it a lot on this podcast, but I've talked more about my family dynamic on the Night Attack comedy show. Uh, but I'm a child of divorce. Uh, I live primarily with my mom. I have a very fractured relationship with my father. So myself, my mom, and my brother, I have always looked at us as kind of three against the world. So I don't know if there's ever been a moment except for, you know, teenager rebellious. I'm not going to do what you say, but even then I've always had a tight relationship with my mom. Like even, even the moments where we butted heads when I was in my adolescence, I, I, I don't think that it ever really lasted for more than 48 hours. They were, they were, Very little sizzles in the pan. Never anything that really lasted. But I've always trusted and confided in in my mom, and and hopefully that comes through when she's on the show. About a year ago, says Ron, I realized that I had somehow transferred to Earth 2 into an alternate reality than this time stream you call home. This was confirmed for me today while listening to the podcast Hacks on Tap definitely up your alley if you're not already a listener, where they were describing this version of Joe Biden that I, in Earth 2, am not familiar with. Apparently in your universe, he's a wise, even-headed person who exudes decency and is always reaching out to the other side to say he will be a president for everyone. In my universe, it's quite different. My version of Biden would shout down anyone in the crowd who disagreed with him threatened to have fistfights with people, and callously treated the black community as a wholly owned subsidy of the Democratic Party. Also, he spent his entire political career being wrong about everything and was a major sponsor of much of the legislation that helped create our current mess. But I'm glad apparently you have a better version of him. I must admit, his behavior after the election has surprised and impressed me and it remains to be seen which version of him shows up after Inauguration Day. I agree. I'm going to let that one stand. John Teasdale, my co-creator of Contender and Action News and a good friend, just writes to rip me a new one. Here we go. I'm even going to give him the angry email voice. I continue to think that your take on social dilemma is wrong. I agree that the documentary itself is poorly produced, but the problem it highlights are real. It isn't about what you have in your heart when you log on. It is the platform where the AI is optimized to engage you completely. It is essentially an artificially intelligent peer pressure system that finds exactly the right things to recommend to you to get you uh, to a place where you're engaging constantly with the platform. It doesn't know if you're engaging with sports blooper videos or cute dog videos or some flavor of your special in the world is lying to you. So the algorithm guides you towards radicalization because radicalized people post more, even if it's. Go die Nazi or share more, even if it's 10 undeniable reasons why we're right and you're wrong. And that's all the algorithm can see. This wasn't programmed in. And the AI doesn't know it's radicalizing you. It just knows that when you watch Where's Monica Lewinsky Now, you'll probably watch Other Times Presidents Have Covered Things Up. Then you'll probably watch the biggest proven government conspiracies. And then you're only a step away from Flat Earth or QAnon. It doesn't happen to everybody, but it is probably the most effective tool for radicalization that humanity has ever held, and it's figured out how to do so on its own while optimizing to, quote, keep people on the platform for as long as possible so we can advertise to them. End quote! Well, John one we talk every week man you can just yell at me in person you don't have to embarrass me in front of my friends John <laughs> uh, so my criticism with the social dilemma is not that there aren't problems with our m- with our social media ecosystem. I I, I tend to think that things go faster and therefore you can get stuck in the rabbit hole more. Then again, I believe that all of these things that you are accurately describing are situations that we've seen in the past We've always, technology is always biased toward bigger, faster, stronger, down the rabbit hole, faster. The problem that I had with the social dilemma is not disagreeing that that exists with this technology or even disagreeing that this is the most impressive version of it that we've ever seen, certainly in my lifetime, It's that we as humans can't handle it. That's my biggest problem with it. Because the same things were said about the printing press. The same things were said about television. The same things were said about radio. And yes, none of these things were social media. I just feel that the solution to each and every one of these situations, as the initial generation became obsessed with it, and we dissected the societal ills and benefits that came from it, the solution was always learning how to live with it and putting it in its uh, proper place, not looking at it as if it's haunted tech and it's out to get us. And that's where I felt that the social dilemma highlighted. So to your point that I think your take on the social dilemma is wrong, I continue to think that your criticism of my criticism of the social dilemma is wrong. In your face. Kujo writes, You keep saying by tonnage that there was more riot planning on Twitter and Facebook than on Parler. That's true. But Twitter and Facebook actually try to remove terroristic posts and users. Parler doesn't. That's the difference. Okay, but even by that argument, Cujo, you are saying that you don't want Parler to become another, uh, or become a worse version of Twitter and Facebook. You're not saying, you're not really punishing everybody equally for what happened. You're saying that you're afraid that Parler will become a worse version of it at which point that's a little precoggy for me you might find that i mean that's fine and look amazon is is there to do what they what they want um i just think it's a it's a bad move like that quote in uh uh, uh blazing saddles i think you're making a big mistake that's all I'm saying. I'm not here to nationalize Amazon. I'm not here to do a a, a, a social media bill of rights or whatever, or, or, or saying that each and every platform needs to register how and why they're deplatforming people. I'm just saying that they might be headed to that if they make moves like this. Or they might be pressured into doing that themselves. Matt writes. You mentioned a few times recently that you view us as a bottom-up society rather than a top-down society. Could you expand on that sometime on the podcast? My initial reaction is to point out, as a counterexample, the vast conspiratorial shift of the rank and file of the GOP base over the past four years. And at a broader level, over the past few decades, as driven by Fox News talk radio, do you think elected GOP officials had some power to fight against the lies about the election being stolen or speaking up, or were they essentially powerless? Well, oh god, this is where I'm going to get both sidesy. Um I think we're in a conspiratorial age. I mean, hell, we had Hillary Clinton on her podcast with Nancy Pelosi seriously saying that she bets Donald Trump was on the phone with Vladimir Putin while the Capitol riots were happening. Why because Hillary needs to cling on to the idea that Trump was a Russian puppet. Despite the fact that Mueller found nothing after going hard and trying to find anything. Despite the fact that nothing was, was, was brought up about it. Because that's the thing that explains why she lost. There will, until I die, be people who think that Donald Trump was a Russian puppet. Does that make it true? No. No. There's as much evidence to show that Donald Trump was a Russian puppet as there is to show that Dominion was flipping votes. But we live in a conspiratorial age. I think that, so, so let, let, me, let me explain my bottom-up versus top-down thing using that as an example. Do I believe that Rachel Maddow and Adam Schiff programmed the populace, Hillary Clinton programmed the populace? to believe that Donald Trump was an agent of Russia and there was proof that existed if we only looked at the oligarch yacht records hard enough? No. I believe there was a large group of people so frustrated and blindsided by the 2016 election that they wanted any kind of evidence to show... That there was rhyme or reason to this beyond the idea that Donald, that uh, uh, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton were not as popular as they thought they were, enough so that somebody that they truly loathed won the White House. And I think that that's just where we're at right now. We can build our own glass houses so easily because of the Internet. Because everything is recorded, which means we can find all the facts we want. There's no argument that we can't have some shred of verifiable evidence to bolster. So when those walls come tumbling down, when reality is so rude as to disrupt our own assumptions, we often look for alternative reasons to explain why it happened. And therefore, people who surfed, surf those trends, including the media and politicians, latch on to those feelings. The best among those practitioners latch on to those feelings and become their champions. That is bottom up, not top down. And finally... T-Rex in a top hat, right? How much of the term of the Biden presidency do you think will be taken up by national politics and how much will he denote to attempting to repair the political damage which has been done to America's reputation in the international stage throughout the Trump era, but especially in the transition period? Um, I think there's a lot that needs to be done domestically. And for a Democrat, you don't really have to do a lot, you know. Send uh, uh, Kamala Harris out to Germany before Angela Merkel leaves and you're going to get big press of like, oh, hip, cool girl bosses. Yeah. And that's going to be worth 50 times you know the the circulating and memification of a bunch of glowering pictures of world leaders looking at Trump like he's a doofus. So I don't think Democrats really need to work hard in in strengthening the uh, uh, international reputation. The larger issue internationally is the fact that we are in a race for global dominance with China. So if you want to know what I'm looking at the most, Secretary of State Pompeo, outgoing Secretary of State Pompeo, claimed, or, uh, uh, stated clearly that China was committing a genocide, their words, not mine, against the Uyghur Muslim population of China. Very curious to see how Biden handles stuff like that. Very curious. If you want to be part of our mailbag, you write in, the young American at gmail.com. Politics! Politics! I want to take this moment to honor somebody that has really made this show a lot better than it was before she got here. Tamar Sandel, who has been I mean, technically, most recently, she was our guest booker. But really, she was an executive producer for my life <laughs> for, for a couple of years, including getting merch out the door, helping me form Raise the Dead, uh, just making me be an adult, to be honest with you. Uh, um, she is uh, moving on. Uh, uh, all amicably, but, uh, you know, there's only so long that, that she can be my, my, my surrogate parent and, uh, a a business consigliere. She will always be involved on some level, but it does mean that there are a few things that we could use some help with. And so we're going to open the doors for an intern to this podcast. I would like everybody to send me an email if you are interested, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Right, intern in the subject line. Uh, It would be greatly appreciated if you had experience in one of the following areas, video editing, publishing, Uh, uh, working with uh, platforms like Substack and SoundCloud, uh, any kind of podcast experience would be greatly appreciated. We would figure out exactly what the role is as I find the talent. But uh, if you're interested in being involved in this program, theyoungamerican at gmail.com, write intern in the subject line, this is a paid opportunity. Not a lot, but a little bit. Uh, so go ahead and uh, send it in. Look forward to seeing who applies to be a part of this uh, ramshackle hover ship the good SSPX3. Welcome back, a man that immediately became a favorite amongst PX3 listeners, not only for his scholarship and his wit, but also his infectious laugh. Musa Al Garbi, welcome back to the show.
2: Well, thank you for having me. And now you've started me laughing off the giggle.
0: Well, the, <laughs> then you've already you've already tickled the audience. You are already uh, you are already uh, on on their good graces. Uh, full disclosure: we are recording this on inauguration day. Uh, We have, uh, you know, certainly the the media has gone wall to wall on covering Joe Biden's ascension at uh, uh, after three tries. Third third time's the charm for him to get into the Oval Office in a very difficult circumstance. But in his speech, we're going to focus on that for a second. He moved. he, He talked a lot about moving past healing divisions, divisions that he made very clear to say are not new, have been here forever and we are uh, uh, he said explicitly is about the division and discrimination in America. You have very recently Musa done a uh, a bunch of research on not only where discrimination exists but also where each demographic sliver of our country believes it exists. And I think some of the results there were fascinating. So let's start with 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 the meta uh, what were you looking to understand with this study?
2: Oh well, so there's um, so there's a great study that was um, done by um, the uh, by the American Enterprise Institute and the American National um, Social uh, and uh, called, called the American National Social Networks um, Survey, and what they were trying to understand initially was um, how Americans. Uh, relate to each other and then how people's social networks sort of change their views on the on, the, on, on, on different issues how they, um, so like for instance, uh, does a person who who's a Democrat but associates with a lot of Republicans have a different understanding of social issues than a Democrat whose friends are all Democrats or do interracial friendships change do, do sort of interfaith friendships change um, how people look at social issues? Um, so they were the ones who actually co- collected the, the initial data, yeah. but then um, looking at the data w- with them, um, and uh, and and we had an event, uh, they had an event sort of introducing the data set that I uh, offered comments at, um, and then wrote a couple pieces sort of analyzing the, the data that they had collected. And uh, one of them was looking at um, perceptions of discrimination uh, between Democrats and Republicans and how they vary for different groups. And uh, so the, the top level, um, I guess, <laughs> the top level thing that that many people notice, what that many people would likely notice, is that <laughs> um, is that there is substantial variation between Democrats and Republicans in terms of how much discrimination they think different groups face. Yeah. So, for instance, Democrats um, about. 90-plus percent of Democrats say Black people in America face a lot of discrimination, whereas the number of Republicans who would say that Black people face a lot of discrimination is about 42 percent. So there's a large gap there. Yeah. Um, And and this kind of gap uh, holds, sort of as you go down the list, um, Muslims, transgender people, Hispanics, um, LGBTQ people, uh, Asians, uh, Jews, uh, and then uh, and then after a while the numbers um kind of flip a little bit where there are certain groups that democrats are inclined to say face are, are disinclined to say face a lot of di- discrimination so they don't think they face a lot of discrimination uh white people christians um uh mormons um but but republicans are more likely than democrats at least to say that they face um a lot of discrimination. And so the usual pe- way that people highlight these kinds of data is to say something like this. It's like um, Democrats are concerned with uh, the <laughs> status of, uh, with, with uplifting sort of low status groups, like um, black people, uh, LGBTQ people, Hispanics, whereas conservatives are concerned about discrimination against high status groups, i.e. whites, Christians, etc. Yeah. But what I showed in the essay, is that actually, um, that's a pretty lazy reading of the data. Uh, so what, what you actually see, um, in the, uh, especially when the data is visualized, this becomes very clear, is that conservatives are pretty consistent with how much discrimination they think any group faces. They don't think any group in America faces a lot of discrimination. Not whites, not Christians, no one in America. Yeah. They, they think America is basically fair. Um, uh, and and so their their evaluations of how much any group faces dis- discrimination is basically consistent regardless of what the reference group is. Trans- and, and so trans- and so yeah. People, let's. Um,
0: let, I, I want to pause you here because this is why I love having you on. Uh, not only because I think you you have a very obvious uh, uh, if not disdain than frustration in terms of. Not necessarily the data itself, but the interpretation and dissemination of the data and the narratives that kind of get stapled to it along the way when it goes from the research phase to the publishing phase, especially in terms of through the political lens. But I I found that revelation fascinating. The, the idea that we might be even in need of a further drilling down into this to say like, OK, well, let's. Maybe, and I'll defer to you, do we need to look at it, at, like, on a weighted scale of, like, okay, let's understand that self-identified Republicans are just minus 20 in terms of <laughs> believing <laughs> discrimination exists to even get to any kind of understanding of where they think pain exists in general in, in America? Like, because there there is just a difference in worldview that we might be taking as— Homogeneous when it obviously isn't
2: well and so so this is what's interesting as if you ask like what are the despite the fact that republicans have a low baseline of how much they think of how much discrimination they think any group faces yeah if you look at what are the groups that conservatives say are the most discriminated against it turns out they're actually basically the same groups that democrats feel are discriminated against so the um uh the Republicans are most likely, more likely than any other group, um, for instance, to um, to view transgender people and Muslims as, as highly discriminated against. Democrats also rank those as among the, the most discriminated groups in America. So there's actually some broad agreement. Um, uh, if you look at, if you sort of go down the list of like where, it's not that Republicans disagree that, um, I, let's see, how can I,
0: but by the way conservatives are more inclined to think
2: yeah for those those conservatives are more inclined
0: yeah sorry i just want to point out for everybody for those who are just listening to this which is everybody because only me and musa can see each other is just looking up as if he's trying to figure out a very complex math problem and this is why i love having you on because you are willing to to traipse through these minefields but please go ahead i already already distracted (laughs) you
2: (laughs) uh yeah so it's it's that um Conservatives are 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 uh, people who 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 are aligned with the Republican Party. Typically, think that America is fair, but they recognize that it's not completely fair. Um, yeah, but the, the, they, but they think it's significantly more fair than Democrats do. Yeah. Um, but but if you ask if you ask them like, who are the people to the extent that it's not completely fair, who is it sort of less fair towards? They don't say whites uh yeah. <laughs> right they go oh yeah. christians and yeah. transgender people yeah um so um uh so so the answer they would give is so and what's interesting actually is that the republican answers about how much discrimination exists in america are again they're pretty consistent irrespective of reference group that's not the case with democrats they they vary um their answers vary radically depending on um what the group referenced is so, um, so they don't think that there's kind of uh, so so. For instance, um, they don't believe that uh, Christians or uh, Mormons or atheists. Uh, so so they're not concerned really about religious discrimination other yeah. than against Muslims uh, across the board. Um, well, not, not uh, even not even
0: not even anti-Semitism, not even uh, Jewish people.
2: Um, I mean, a majority of. Democrats do say that um, Jewish people uh, face a lot of discrimination, but it's the um, of the groups that uh, of the populations that Democrats view as having a lot of as face that most Democrats agree face a lot of discrimination. Yeah. Jews are at the very bottom of that list. Gotcha. Um, Okay. uh, uh, After. um, Yeah. Uh, So, for instance, uh, yeah. So, the, so they're not they're not particularly um, concerned with religious discrimination they're much more concerned on balance with racial discrimination and with discrimination along the lines of gender and sexuality um, which you know intuitively I guess is not surprising but what's interesting is that there's a lot of social research, tons of it that um that showed this similar pattern, where conservatives tend to be more consistent in their judgments about things, irrespective of the group that's referenced. Yeah. But Democrat judgments vary radically depending. So, for instance, um, in philosophy, you've um, you might have heard of uh, trolley
0: problems. Do you yes. Know what trolley problems. Are? Yes, indeed, indeed. And, okay. and well, any, I'll, anybody, anybody I'll, who's I'll elaborate. Yeah, yeah. Any, anybody who's who's seen the Good Place? This is one of the one of the episodes on yes. on, on the Good Place.
2: I loved, okay, yeah, so, okay, it'll be a tangent. But one of the things that, so I'm a philosopher, before I became a sociologist, I was a philosopher. I have an associate's bachelor's and master's in philosophy. um, And, uh, yeah, and so I was like, one of the things I really loved about The Good Place, actually, is that uh, the way they were able to, like, worm a lot of philosophical stuff in there, and not in in a surprisingly, like, in a surprisingly deep and faithful way to, yeah. to, to what the people were arguing. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. So trolley problems are, are problems where it's a trolley is coming down the track. If you don't do anything, it'll kill this group of people, or you can pull a lever um, and, and save that group of people. But at the expense of killing this other group of people, just for listeners who aren't sure. Um, yeah. familiar.
0: And, and, and usually okay. there, there, there's some disparity in the number, right? There's, there's like, or, or sometimes it's, a young group of people versus older people. There, there's all different versions of it, but all of it comes down to do nothing, kill some people, do something, kill some people, which makes you more culpable in action or action.
2: Yeah, and it's a great way of getting at people's intuitions about whose life is most valuable. Is it, So are more lives more valuable than um, less lives? Are black lives more valuable than white lives? Are, you know, et cetera. And so, for instance, there's this great experiment um, where they asked, uh, liber- where they presented liberal and conservative um, respondents with a-, a trolley problem that went like this: so, um, on one side of the track, if you do if you do nothing, someone with a uh, with a characteristically black sounding name like Tyrone Jones yeah. will die. Or you can pull the lever and kill someone with a characteristically white-sounding name like Chip Worthington III or something like that, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but his friends call and, him jazz. Um, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, now, for Republicans, um, irrespective of the sort of of who is on what side of the track and whether you pull or not, you know, et cetera, um, irrespective of the of the races of the people uh, who would die or live. They made consistent decisions across the board um so you could uh so they didn't send a favor whites or blacks it was like whatever principle it was like the most the most lives or whatever or or if they were refraining from pulling and they just you know whatever they they were there was no variation in how they made their decision based on the, gotcha. on the name of the people who would live or die
0: so th- oh, it was it, was, that it was, that was, was it was would
2: you pull it was would you pull a lever to kill three people to save in order to save tyrone jones like three gotcha. generic people in yeah. order to, to save tyrone jones versus chip worthington the uh, conservatives made the same decision either way progressives though uh people uh democrats um th- the, you know chip chip would die chip's
0: getting
2: it chip gets it yeah but tyrone on the other hand they refused to kill tyrone so yeah. they're um so their judgments varied radically depending on the race of the person whereas conservatives were consistent irrespective of race
0: so that was um, that that would, that would seem to be more of a pinning on the conservatives were focused more on their decision in the moment whether or not they were going to pull the lever and and, and do a a victim of uh, you know the, the, the sacrifice one to save more like like that that was their guiding light and the, the the progressives brought more of the outside world and more of their worldview in to say, well, you know, Chip probably grew up in a country club, and uh, you know, he probably got a car on his sixteenth birthday. Yeah, Chip deserved it. Chip, that was just more likely.
2: It's more yeah, likely. Chip has than, a, Chip, yeah, Chip has had Chip has had enough privilege. Okay, he doesn't need trolley privilege. He no, yeah. So this is the trolley um, privilege. Uh, yeah. So this is the thing. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> so this is the thing, is yeah, so conservatives tend to be more focused on the principle of whatever whatever principle they were using to resolve like whatever moral principle, gotcha. be it utilitarianism or deontological stuff, they were they were just more principled, whereas Democrats were more concerned about question of like who who is going to be killed or not, you know. Yeah. Um and uh and they clearly valued some people in, in different ways than other people. And there's a whole bunch of um So that's just one sort of uh, quick example, but there's actually a whole ton of of, uh, research that I linked to in the piece um, showing this, that uh, a lot of times in in thing after thing after thing, conservatives actually tend to be pretty consistent in their views, irrespective of the race of the the reference group, whereas Democrats, uh, people who are aligned with the left more broadly tend to change their attitudes and behaviors significantly depending on who they're interacting with. Uh, and one other one that uh, a study that came out that was also um, that's just easily accessible. So it's and and it's kind of fun to talk about. Um, there's this phenomenon called competence downshifting, where people pretend to be less, talk to people in a different way, talk to them in a more simple way, um, just kind of play down their credentials or their whatever. Um, and it turns out that uh, when white Republicans and um, or conservatives interact with black people, they talk with black people the same way as they talk to white people. You don't see this effect. You don't see any any change, but liberals, uh, white liberals do this competence downshifting. So they they talk to when, the, when a white person talks to a white, when white liberals talk to, to other white people, they talk in a certain way. Um, talking about their expertise or their credentials or um, talking at a sort of at a higher level. And then when they talk to black people, they shift down and they do this consistently. Really? That's like patronizing and condescending um, uh, and and not intended to be that. I think, you know, the intention behind it is to try to connect and to, to not seem pretentious or whatever. But. In any case, what the study found is that conservatives actually are likely to engage with people across race in a very um, in a a more consistent way, whereas liberals tend to radically change how they talk to people depending on on their
0: race. I guess I could see that from a perspective of the like check your privilege school of thought that that it's like, okay, well, if you had these experiences and you've had these gifts given to you uh, even implicitly. Then hiding them or not putting them out on on front street when you're just having a conversation with somebody for the first time is something that that uh, uh, I guess might grease the wheels a little bit. But certainly when when you look at it from that perspective of, of like, OK, like competence downshifting, nobody wants to look at themselves and be like, oh, no, I'm competence downshifting right now to talk to my new black neighbor
2: especially because of that same principle of like you don't need to be front and forward with you know it's obnoxious anyway when anyone when an academic like insists like oh uh i'm like hey joe oh that's you know professor joe or whatever you know like yeah. come on get out of here with that like yeah. um it's obnoxious anyway when people leave with their credentials and they want to like um, and they talk in overly and sort of needlessly academic jargon when they're talking to ordinary people. All of that stuff is obnoxious anyway. So there are plenty of good social reasons, yes, <laughs> yes, to to not. But but those same reasons hold irrespective of whether you're talking to a black person or a white person, Indeed. right? Critically, yes. Um, and so uh, yeah. Um, in any case, there there is this kind of variation, and, and there's like there's, like I said, there's a whole, there's a pretty vast literature that shows that um, people who are sort of left-aligned radically change the way that they talk to people based on their race. Um, and and um, and I would imagine actually probably, although it's less studied, but my intuition would be that you might see similar trends. Um, for instance, if they were engaging with uh, LGBTQ people or, yeah. you know, um, uh, just other other people with with an identity that would be characterized as historically marginalized or disadvantaged um, and and for the same for the same basic reasons. Although um, I
0: would I would I would wonder I, w- I would wonder about LGBTQ folks, because uh, if we're looking at similar experiences and we're going to define similar experiences by things like education level and job income then the average progressive white person is probably more likely to see lgbtq people along that road than black people by by the 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 numbers or at least the numbers that we that we see now so i'd be i'd be curious do we have any uh uh, strata there in terms of age like do do old progressives have the the competence uh, downshifting more than than young progressives? Is this something that has that has altered over the generations?
2: Hmm. So I would have to pull up the the, the study and look at the, my under. But so but uh, so I can't. I would just encourage people to find go and read go the go study. go yeah <laughs> go go find the study. But, I'm but, I'm
0: throwing this in your lap
2: intuitively. But my but my my suspicion is. Um, that they probably did try to control for age um i don't think that they um i don't think that they would that they noticed variation on age for that okay uh, but i understand that but the intuition seems compelling that maybe it would be like that maybe it's more of a new practice um than yeah i than like older
0: i i don't i don't know i mean because i don't i i, I honestly could uh, just just my my guess is i could see it going either way i, I could see it weakening i could i could see it strengthening because uh, if if anything it almost feels especially when I look back through history, it seems like identity in, in that kind of way was very strong in the sixties and seventies. It tended to, at least in terms of popular culture, and this may or may not even just be totally by our media, our media ecosystem kind of dilating uh, uh forward and back seemed to shift a little bit out of the public eye there. And then now it's, it's, everywhere when 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 chase bank is changing their logo into the transgender flag then you know that this is broken out beyond a a niche subsection this is now the 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 mainstream way that people want to communicate with the average person
2: well it's well no it's so so not the average so so this is what's interesting okay is um this this phenomenon that you see this um, shift in values, uh, you are absolutely right that the, that this isn't the first time that we've seen a similar shift in values, um, of this of, of this nature. So, um, like the, a colloquial way that that this sort of shift in values that you're seeing is um, has been described by uh, Matt Iglesias at Vox, looking at a bunch of trends among uh, was the Great Awakening. Um, in, in a recent piece, I showed that. Um, this is basically the third great awakening that we've had since the 19 um since since World War II. There was one in the 60s and 70s. There's another one in um, the around the mid-90s, which is when we had the last big blow-up about political correctness and all of this at yep. universities yep. And, and everything like that. And we seem to be in the midst of another one um, today. But what's interesting is when you look at the ad- attitudinal shifts, they're they're occurring specifically among Basically, I guess you would say the whites in the professional managerial class. So whites who are, uh, who, and especially whites who identify, whites who identify as liberal, whites who are highly educated, whites who have, um, who are kind of middle to upper SES. So like upper middle class, upper class, you know, uh, wealthy. Um, But incidentally, um, these are the people that a lot of like Citibank, for instance, who is Citibank most interested in reaching? Them. People in the professional manager, yes. right? So, so they're targeting, so a lot of these companies are, they're sort of the most lucrative demographic out there because they have the most discretionary income, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so a lot of advertisers are tailoring their ads to those people. Yeah. Um, and, and this is the thing is they're not necessarily concerned about, so for instance, when Gillette ran that ad about toxic masculinity or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, they they alienated a lot of cus, customers as well, and their position has basically been, you know, what? It's okay. We'll probably gain more than we lose. If we alienate some people in North Dakota, guess what? North Dakota is not the future of this company. Right? New York is. New York um, is. That's yeah. where the money is being concentrated. That's where the um, that's where wealth in America is being concentrated. So there are a lot of adver- advertisers and stuff. Um. Well, there's two things. One, they're targeting the professional managerial class because that's where money is being concentrated. But then two, the people who are making these ads are themselves members of the professional managerial class and have sure. themselves internalized these same values, right? So they, they're sincere believers in the and the ads that they're putting yeah, out. Yeah. Um but but then but at the same time, um the, to the extent that there's a calculus behind it, that calculus is um it's not that they're trying to reach the general consumer with with these kinds of woke capitalism ads, they're trying to reach the, the consumers that have the money. This is, is uh, yes. Yeah. Awesome. this is, the, this is, <laughs> this is the
0: creeping, the creeping siren call of death for me. Like I, I was, I was watching football one day and all of a sudden, uh, I think it was a, a, The Way You move by Outcast was playing, which I remember listening, I skipped school in college so I could listen to that album the day it came out. I was I was such a, I'm such a gigantic Outcast fan. And I looked over and it was a Toyota commercial. And I'm like, no! <laughs> like, this is it. Like, I, I just know that the Jaguar in the next, there's going to be some British announcer celebrating a, a, a bisexual awareness month uh, and letting you know that Jaguars are on sale for a very reasonable lease uh, uh, only for the next 20 days. This is going to to... to be the 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 future of my entire life is every every element of this this woke uh uh uh, stuff that again for people of a certain age and uh uh, you know educational class this is what this is this is how you reach us this is how you reach this demographic
2: yeah um and it's uh yeah and, and, and and you know to the extent that that it's and the tension—the tension, of course, is that a lot of these um, ideas that are associated with wokeness were initially conceived as um, empowering people from historically marginalized and disadvantaged groups. But the yeah. people who are who are the most eager to produce and consume this content, ironically, are basically the winners in the current system, right? And and we and the and the professional managerial class is disproportionately white is disproportionately, you know, uh, people who are, who, who, who themselves came from relatively well off backgrounds. Um, but we're the one that, you know, uh, and I'm going to just say we for a lot of this stuff because in recognition of the fact that I am a member of the professional managerial class sure. myself, yeah. um, uh, but we're the, we're the primary producers and consumers of a lot of this content. Um, and we're not the, we're not the losers and and ironically the people who are actually the losers in the current system uh minorities and whites alike um you know corporate america is not particularly interested in hearing their thoughts about no. things or elevating their perspectives or or anything like that and and I'll add i mean from this is a tension that's been there from the beginning though because a lot of these ideas like intersectionality on the one hand it was an attempt um to sort of elevate, uh, the, so that as you may know, the the, the, the term was for, first coined by um, this group called the Combahee River Collective um, at Wesleyan uh, College. Um, and then later sort of uh, popularized by Patricia Hill Collins, who did an important sort of, who led an important legal case um, that, that, that really sort of, but it was first, um, Okay, and so the idea was <laughs> that you you would um, elevate sort of uh, like queer uh, queer women, uh, queers, women, black people, sort of all at the same time. So to to, to sort of understand the relationships between di- how different forms of oppression are connected to one another, yeah. and to elevate people who are at the margins by um, encouraging them to. Uh, to to view their struggles as interrelated and to work together to try to right, um, but but of course, again the 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 group was based out of um, Wellesley, sorry not Wesley and Wellesley, yeah. which is it's an elite liberal arts school. It was the same school that Hillary Clinton went to, right? Um, and, and a lot of these schools are uh, and a lot of these ideas and and um, uh, were associated with. Um, people who are based out of schools like Harvard and Oberlin and MIT and so, you know, um, by people who are, who are the winners, even then who are the winners in the system who are associated with. Right. Um, and so this has always been a tension. There's always been this, this element of tension within it, that it's social elites who are purporting to speak for people who are disadvantaged, but their views even though they might e- even for those of us who are in the professional managerial class who might be say who are african-american or muslim for instance to use myself as an example might not be characteristic right what 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 our will what our interests what our views and priorities are might not be characteristic of what most other black people in america what most other muslims in america what most other you know whatever in america think or feel and in fact not only is it the case that that might not be true yeah But we can actually demonstrate through a lot of empirical research that it that it is true it like the the people who are african americans or women or or women or lgbtq people or whatever who end up in these elite institutions are demonstrably non-representative of how most of their of whatever group they're purporting to represent uh think or feel and indeed Part of the reason why we end up in an institution like Harvard instead of um, or whatever is because is because there's we we vary in some systematic way from the from the from the norm. That's sure. why we're that's why we have a seat at the table to begin with, right? And there hasn't been a lot of reflexiveness about this. For, so a lot of scholars um, who are who are black, for instance, who end up at an elite school talk about black people think this black people feel that not because they researched what do most other black people feel but because they think of themselves as normal they think of their yeah. they think of themselves as a good represent as a good representation of what you know most other people of their group feel and they purport to speak on their behalf when in fact they probably shouldn't <laughs> um
0: well, there are there are even more strata, right? Like there are even more difference, uh, different differences of experiences, even within these these uh, uh, marginalized communities. I, I wonder what we're kind of getting at here on some level. And this kind of brings us back to the the you know Joe Biden inauguration speech is this idea of allyship. And and e- even in those trolley problems, like like you mentioned, that this is a a show of solidarity with that in, in uh intersectionalist movement that that this is this is uh, me doing my part and even if to weave in the, the the commercials even if it means shopping at Kroger because they want to recognize Martin Luther King Day uh, uh that that shows that we are doing something that there is that there is a and i'm saying we as in white people uh, are 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 doing something to uh you know make this better or make this different and and i i don't know if if that is something that based on on this uh, the the studies that you've that you've written the essays about even resonate with the across the aisle folks that we are purporting to wanting to heal a rift with because they don't view this necessarily as the same Level of, of problem that, that 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 America is something that is is far more fair and maybe doesn't need the same level of allyship or that that therefore the performative elements or the at, at times, you know, parodyable stuff that I was joking about with like Kroger and Citibank is is insulting, not only even to the, the, the groups themselves, but but to society as a whole.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think that you're definitely, uh, it's, it's unequivocally the case that um, most, conserv- most, most Republicans or conservatives or people who are aligned with the right feel like America is fundamentally fairer than a lot of people on the left do. The, but again, that said, they do recognize that it's not perfectly fair, and that yeah. there is discrimination, and they even agree about what groups face Which groups? discrimination. So, yeah. so there is some common ground um, that can be made. But the but but precisely because they don't think, because they don't view it as being like epidemic level. In the same way that you know um, that many on the left, their appetite for what kind of interventions seem reasonable. What, what kind of intervention seem reasonable will be different, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, so if you think something is a crisis that's literally eating America and destroying America and that black people born today can be, you know, arbitrarily killed for any reason, you know, et cetera. If you're someone who has a very strong, um, then, then, you know, you think like huge changes have to be made to society like right now <laughs> to, to kind of address. Yeah. Um, whereas if you, if you're like, well, it's not perfect and there is room that has to be done and it's not fair um it's not completely fair and we should do something then you're going to be like one less urgent and then two sort of um more about tinkering along the edges of of what's here rather than overturning the table and wanting to build something right um so that's 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 the i would say that's one of the main sources of differences between democrats and republicans isn't that this isn't that one group just denies um that that racism exists or whatever, that they actually agree that there are problems and they even agree on who suffers from them. They just disagree about how much it's a problem and therefore disagree about what's the appropriate kind of response to to that problem. Um, So that's definitely the case. But with respect to Joe Biden's speech and how it would be received, I mean, I think one of the things that I was kind of uh, frustrated by well, frustrated, one thing that I think is going to cause the speech to be not received in the spirit in which maybe it was intended is that um he spent a good amount of time in the in the in the um, speech talking about how he wants to build bridges, how he wants to work across the aisle, all of that. yeah, all well and good. yep. but but at the same time, he's <laughs> he spent a lot of his speech pointing out very specific ways in which his political opponents, people on the other side of the aisle from him, are in the wrong. Yeah. They, they believe in fake news, they're racist, et cetera, right? Um, yeah. but, but there was zero, absolutely zero talk anywhere in this talk about building bridges, about anything that people aligned with him or the Democrats or whatever, maybe could have done better or differently or aren't doing well or so the overall tone of it is I would love to work with you. Like, please just stop being crazy (laughs)
0: um,
2: and, and be a little, a little, a little less crazy, a little less evil. And I would be happy, happy. I would love, I'm desperate to work with you if you could just stop being so stupid. Right. (laughs) Like, uh, and, and that's, that's not going to be, um, received and 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 similarly i mean um the new york times just reported uh Biden administration plans on trying to to um pass this major immigration reform bill
0: yeah
2: uh and the thing though that's different um this cycle as compared to this go-around as compared to previous times this has been attempted is that typically when it when this proposal is put on the table, there's sort of been a long standing awareness of what what the overall framework of a workable deal would look like. It yes. would com- it would be a path to to citizenship for dreamers, um, who are for people who are already here, um, uh, especially the dreamers. Um, and then some some kind of uh increased enforcement or or something like this to help um stymie the flow of f- of Of further um illegal migrants and, uh, or undocumented immigrants, and then to um uh, look at changing the rules on legal immigration, though to make it ease a little easier for- and, and this
0: and this was this was last at the fore with Obama. and that's what led to the executive order with with daca, but and and changed the the, the tenor of Marco Rubio's career. Marco Rubio' was somebody that was going to cross the island, become it for. Amnesty on some or a pathway to citizenship on on some level. Everything blows up. Breitbart eats his lunch. Paul Ryan's career is, is ripped to shreds. But but that's that's the last time it it happened like that. But you're right. At least yeah. then there was Senate leadership and, and the president, uh, largely Joe Biden, who was the only reason why anything got done during Obama's administration in the Senate uh, to say, here's the general framework of what we want you tell us what you want and let's put together the big the big deal
2: and i think there was strong bipartisan consensus um both uh among those sort of uh among many rank and file republicans among the uh, and democrats among the the sort of um uh the people who are in the the pundit class on the left and right with the exception of like far right like Breitbart and whatever yeah. that this is basically that this is basic the basic idea of what would work and that it's probably and it's the devil isn't ironing out the details but this is the general thrust of where we're gonna go. Um Biden so Biden put forward uh his plan it includes absolutely zero, zero about um increasing anything on the border, border security, anything like this. So completely abandoning that, that there's, there's not any kind of olive branch to Republicans. It's basically what the the stuff that the Democrats have been arguing for, for a while, putting that forward, sort of straight partisan thing. Um, And, uh, but he somehow expects that there's going to be a grand bargain out of this. And, but the reason he's been pressured to do that, uh, you know, Uh, This is the same Joe Biden who, who had for a long time, you know, stumped on border security and
1: and
2: and under Obama they deported more people. Right. So the reason why this element of the grand bargain is missing is not because it's probably not because Joe Biden himself strongly disagrees with it or because Joe Biden doesn't want to give Republicans anything that would help them say yes. It's because. He knows that his base right now wants to concede absolutely zero yeah. to Trump and his supporters on this issue, which made Trump famous. That Trump that Trump campaign done. Yeah. Border security, building a wall, increasing border security. There is zero appetite among the Democratic base. And in fact, if he included something like that, it would be perceived as a betrayal and they would explode. Um, and he knows that. So he didn't include it. But I say all this as a way of saying that the Democrats will also have a hard time, uh, despite Biden's own intentions, he and the rest of the party is going to have a hard time meeting people in the middle and trying to put forward deals that will actually in part because his own base, right. Is not in the mood for this. They're not in the mood for compromising. They're not in the mood for reaching across the aisle, especially to the deplorables or whatever. Um, and, and so he's, he's going to put forward this grand bargain in the hopes that the Republicans will embrace it despite offering them zero <laughs> in terms of what they would normally expect out of this bargain. And then if they shoot it down, it will be ride- widely derided in the media as, Oh, look, the Republicans Stone don't want to play walling. ball with Biden. Yeah. Despite him trying to extend an olive branch. Right. And so my concern is that despite Biden's sort of intent to reach across the aisle and the spirit with which he's trying to approach this administration. I think some of the problems are pretty deep, again, not just on the Republican side with with respect to like how a compromise would be reached. And this comes through in his talk and it came through in his inauguration as well where there's this kind of asymmetry in the way he, he said, yes, absolutely. We need to come together now there's not anything that that needs to happen on our side for us to come together. No, right?
0: No, no, but, yeah.
2: But the coming together needs to happen, i.e., you guys get over here, please. Get us on over here.
0: Stop being so racist. And uh, if you not get off, then then I'll be here for you. Back when you get to the old Republicans, remember the ones that we used to just call racist and not crazy. Uh, uh, you were just regular racist. Uh, yeah, and that's going to be a tough sell. I mean, that's not that's
2: not. And in the no. moment that we're that we're in, it's not you know I don't think it's going to be as successful as he would
0: hope. Well, I, I, the the one thing that I would I would hope for, and I don't know how much I hope for it, is that Biden is a get things done in the Senate guy, and in a lot of ways, he reminds me of of LBJ, in that both creatures of the Senate, both know every arm that needs to get twisted because that was the life that they led before. Uh, and, and there's, you know, they, they know how to use the momentum of that chamber to its advantage. There's a reason why, uh, LBJ was able to get civil rights through, uh, and JFK wasn't. Now he used JFK's death as the battering ram to do it, but knowing that he could is half that battle, knowing exactly who they needed to punish, which, Senators they needed to shame as racist in the Washington Post to make sure that this went through and make any kind of opposition. That's that's part of it. I suspect that Biden is somebody that will want to get things over the finish line and will want to have some Republican senators on on the ticket, whether or not that is viewed as bipartisan. Or it basically just kills the career of a bunch of centrist Republicans, I think will be the 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 tale that we are going to find out the ending of by the end of his uh, however long he spends in office.
2: Well, I mean, well, one thing that he does have going for him uh, in, in this in this particular bid with respect to immigration is that a lot of right wing donors are actually very keen on immigration. Yeah. Um, like the Koch brothers, for instance, they're basically like. They're a step away from open borders. I mean, like they are. They're they're very they're, 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 they're the
0: reason why Marco Rubio wanted to do it in the first place. Back before now, he's like hardcore working class. But back in that first deal, it was because yeah, you're right. There 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 is a a, a, a the free market libertarian element of that party, which is where a lot of that money comes from. Is is for a overhauled or or a, a totally different system than we have now. Which I think everybody can agree it should be different. It's exactly how different and what the result is.
2: And, and, and then one last thing that he has in his favor is that, um, there, are cert- is that some, there are certain leaders in the Republican Party, like Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell, who aren't really probably going to stand for re-election again, because um, they're, you know, they're just, they're getting <laughs> very old. Um, and they, they are keen, uh, some of them more than others, uh, to kind of purge Trumpism from the Republican Party on their way out. Um, so they might be, because they don't have to worry about standing for re-election if they piss off the base, they might be more willing to try to force the party to move in a different direction um, with, with without um, and, and and be they might be a little less obstructionary than they would be if they were if they were worried about running for re-election, especially if they think it will help them eliminate this element from the party or, or whatever. Um, but most Republicans who are, who are going to be returning to the ballot box, if they get just a, a straight, if they're confronted to vote on a straight, basically Democrat priority immigration bill, um, and, and they do have to face the voters, right. Uh, two years
0: from now. Some That's going to be hard. That'll be, a,
2: that'll be a tougher sell. Cause
0: by the way, again, to point out the last time it happened, it got him Trump. Like like it was yeah. it was because the push, because the push for amnesty, the idea that these young rising Republican stars were like, well, I don't know, pathway to citizenship. That's how Trump gets out on television and shreds them on Fox news. And then a few years later is Channing build the wall and, and gets uh, elected for as the first private citizen to ever do it without serving in the military. So, all right. Uh, uh, I've already kept you too long. Uh, Musa Algarbi, the Paul F. Lazarsfeld fellow in sociology at Columbia university. Uh, always a pleasure. And we will have to have you back on the next time you've got a uh, 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 great stuff out there, which is always happening. Where can people find you on Twitter?
2: Uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, at Musa underscore Algarbi, and then I have a website, MusaAlgarbi.com.
0: All right, man. Well, thank you very much.
2: Yeah, thank you again for having me.
0: Politics, politics. And that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, I want to thank Musa Algarbi, by the way, if you want some information on. Uh, or more information on some of the studies that he pointed out or some of the articles that he referenced. Uh, Go ahead and see the show notes for this podcast. If you would like to email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You can tweet the show at PX3Live. Our Twitch is at PX3Live.com. I am live at least four days a week, every week on that. You can get to our newsletter at PX3Newsletter.com. You can support us on Patreon, where you get our $3 club, two bonus episodes each and every week. If you head on over to Take Politics Seriously and sign up for the $3 club, you can send me a one-time donation at paypal.me slash payjury, P-A-Y-J-U-R-Y, or you can be like Alexander and send me a dollar on Venmo. This is one of the funniest things, man. Every once in a while, I get random dollars. People are doing bits. Somebody sent me a buck five, and it said, if you don't pay your buck five, who will? You guys are great. Um, Justin-Young-20 is the $1 location for your $1 Venmo donations. And, of course, you can send checks or anything else that you would like to buoy our spirits at P.O. Box 10853. Oakland, California, 94610. But if you would like your name shouted out at the end of this, uh, then you're gonna have to head on over to takepoliticsseriously.com. You're gonna have to sign up at the Titanic $10 tier, just like the following folks. Alec, Government Unfiltered, Andres, Archie, Darren, Olin and Angela, DL, Kyle, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Miranda, Jenny, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Richard, just another pilot, D Really, Frozen Summers, J Pink, Andrew, I Love You TNT, Dr. G, The Jen, Kathy Mack, Headphones, Neil, Onward to Georgia, Captain Bunzo, J Sulu, Dallas Danger, Taylor, Middle Age, Mike, But What Happened to Tex? Get a bucket and a mop. Cujo, Idris, Jacob Wilson, Berkeley, Steven, Justin Egan. Junkie, Diana, Sunny Smiles, Tempest, Fugit, Jason with Magnolia, Delta Credit Card Processing, D-Laser, and Hash Tagus. Love it. Until next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying. Uh, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics. But this is the holy show that talks about. Oh.